Okay, so Exodus 28 through 11. Remember to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. And on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, and your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested, and that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, set it apart as holy. All right, so we're talking about the Sabbath. This is our fourth week on the Ten Commandments. So I'm just going to, before we start, recap how Chaz has led us these first three weeks. So the first one, the first thing we have to remember about the Ten Commandments is that it was never really the Ten Commandments, but it was better described as the Ten Words, the Ten Words of God that echo the Ten Words of God's creation in Genesis 1. Think about it, the original meaning the uh, Decalogue, ten log logos words. So with that framework, we remember that the, the Ten Commandments, if we're going to look at them as laws or commands, then we're really only looking at them in the law in the same way we look at the law of gravity. Uh, a law is in a reality that exists that we get to be a part of and that we experience, rather than a set of legal commands like state laws or something. So as we've gone, the first word, uh, or the first commandment, God alone, Chaz taught us that God alone is worthy of worship. There are no other gods before him. The second word that we can't make idols, we can't participate in a distorted vision of who God is, but also who we are. And then the third word, do not use the Lord, the name of the Lord God in vain. Be God's as in God, apostrophe S, reflections of him that wear God's goodness and love on our foreheads, visible for all to see. And now we come to the Sabbath. And I was thinking about the Sabbath, and the thing that came to mind as I was preparing for it was uh, Google Translate. Have you ever typed a paragraph into Google Translate? Uh, if you have, it doesn't work at all. Uh, so so just, just to prove that, I pulled up the Greek of our verses that we just read and uh, put them in Google Translate, and here's what came up. Uh, yeah. Remembrance of the Sabbath day sanctifies him. Decent start, right? From day to day work and poetize always thy work. The second day of the Sabbath, Lord thy God. Thou shalt not poetize in this work thy son and thy daughter, thy father and thy child, thy cattle and thy husband and thy beast, and the proselyte who is present to thee. So Google Translate uses the King James Version of translation, I guess. Uh, but to me, this is kind of a rep representation, a brief image of what Sabbath looks like for me. It's kind of this weird foreign thing that when you tr try to bring into now, try to apply, you kind of get confused and get lost. It doesn't really fit. Maybe it starts okay. Remember of this remembrance of the Sabbath day sanctifies him. But then the next time you try, you're just saying thee and thy and proselyte and nothing really makes sense. So the purpose of today is just to point to the heart of the Sabbath to look at what the Sabbath is really all about, how it affects us, 
and how we can apply a command from thousands of years ago to today. So let's start with the beginning of what is the actual heart of the Sabbath. And it's pretty simple. The heart of the Sabbath is to be with God, to be in relationship with God, to be whole in who we are made to be, and to be connected to those around us. That sounds a lot simpler than whatever that translation was. So let's start by looking at the very end of our verses. That's Exodus 20, verse 11. I think that's where we find the heart of the Sabbath the most. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11 reads, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the first question is clearly here that the Sabbath is holy. But I think the natural question is, why is the Sabbath holy? Luckily, this verse answers it pretty simply, and it's not always what we think of when we think of why is the Sabbath holy. It's because God rested. This verse that we just read really paraphrases Genesis 2, verses 2 through 3, which reads, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So the Sabbath is holy because God created everything in six days and then rested on the seventh day. I think that's a bit freeing for me when I feel the pressure of, oh, how, how can I live the Sabbath today to first realize the Sabbath is holy because of God, because of God's work and God's creation. God has made the Sabbath holy, not my works. Unfortunately, this important clarification that the Sabbath is holy because God rested, God created and then God rested, doesn't doesn't really demystify the Sabbath for us today. It doesn't make it easier to apply to our lives today. So I think there's a natural second question that comes from this. What does it even mean that God rests? Why is God resting such a holy thing? Why is it such a big deal? And so I think to answer that, we have to go first with what does it not mean for God to rest? What it doesn't mean is he doesn't rest like I rest. If you know me, or if you haven't met me, I'm an introvert. So rest means that I prefer to isolate and withdraw. I love a house to myself. I love taking a shower so I, the sound of the shower is so loud that I can't hear that anyone exists around me. That's kind of rest. And then when I finally get alone, I uh, play on my phone and actually don't rest at all. So it's great. <laughs> but, so that's, what sa that's not what rest is here. I mean, if it was, could you imagine this? Could you imagine praying to God on the Sabbath? And we know how tough prayer is. We never really hear anything back, it seems like. And then God finally responds to your prayer on the Sabbath, and you hear him, and he says, leave me alone, I'm resting. You know, obviously we know that that's not God's character, and that's not what happens. So we know that that's not what God's rest is. So that brings us to the natural question of then, okay, what does God's rest mean? And here I have a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he's talking about it. He says this, 
Rest in the Bible really means more than having a rest. It means completion. It means the peace of God in which the world lies. Rest means the peace of God in which the world lies. I think this is, this is a, a big deal, obviously. So the first thing rest means is it means completion. God rested on the seventh day because he completed his works in the first six days. Rest also means wholeness. It means God created everything and it was good. Everything was whole. And the last thing rest means that's critical, and I think really why it's holy, is rest means presence. We tend to think of rest in the terms that I mentioned of how I rest, in terms of escape and withdrawal. We think God ascended to the highest heavens and locked the door, closing his eyes to his ear, eyes and ears to his people. But we actually see just in the very next story after Genesis 1 that God rested by dwelling in the garden. Right? He was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. God's rest is holy because in God's rest he descended to be with us, to be with creation in his rest. This is the same God that sent his son down onto earth for us so we could experience eternal rest with him to be in relationship with us. Rest is not unholy escape, but holy presence. So what's the heart of the Sabbath? It's being. Being with God. Being in relationship with God, walking with God in the garden. Being who we've made to be. So, if that's the heart of the Sabbath, then we have to move to how do we apply that heart to today? How do we apply that heart thousands of years later and be who God made us to be? How do we walk with God now when there is no Garden of Eden? And I think that the remainder of these verses offer us some helpful guardrails to living the Sabbath in a way that properly reflects God's heart. I promise I won't give any advice of like, you have to do this or not, because I'm just a 25-year-old that doesn't know anything. But... I think these guardrails will be helpful. Um, think, think of a, a vineyard, right? When in a vineyard, how do, how do the vines, how are they able to grow? Because of trellises that hold them up and allow them to stand up, right? And I think these verses can provide helpful guardrails that can help us stand upright and flourish in our practice of the Sabbath. So let's go to the first verse that we read, Exodus 28, and remember... And uh, see the first guide, guardrail. So Exodus 20, verse 8 reads, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's it. That's pretty simple. But there's two guardrails in there for us, two guideposts that can help us. And the first one is remember. We remember the Sabbath we remember the heart of the Sabbath that we just talked about, that the heart of the Sabbath is relationship with God, right? It's God descending onto earth to dwell with us and want relationship with us, to take the steps so we can be in relationship with him. 
So we remember Sabbath, we remember the hardest Sabbath, and that really kind of boils down to remembering God's completed work. We remember what God's done, and we remember God's character. How would you describe one of your close friends? I think you would start by probably like describing them with adjectives, you know, maybe they're kind, they're funny, they make you laugh, they're always there for you. But then I think you dig a bit deeper uh, and say, how? Okay, they're kind, but how are they kind? How are they funny? And what you do is you tell a story, right? You tell a story of how they made you laugh. They tell you a story of how they walked with you. They helped you through a tough time. Right? And the point of me saying that is that when we remember... I want to be clear that remembering is not an intellectual act of thinking, but remembering is a relational act. Remembering can only be done from something you've had a relationship with. You, you, remem- you can describe your friend and tell stories about your friend because you've had a relationship with him. You've walked with him, laughed with him, done life with them. We remember God not because... The Bible tells us so, although that doesn't hurt. We remember God because he's walked with us. We can see how he's protected us and paved our way, how he's been with us in the highs and the lows. We remember because of God's presence with us in our past. This is a critical point because the Ten Commandments aren't coming just down from the clouds out of, well, kind of, but uh, out of nothing but they're coming in a specific part of the story, right? They're coming in Mount Sinai after God. And let's just think of what's happened beforehand. God created everything and then rested on the seventh day. God dwelled with humanity. And despite humanity's many failures, and he promised Abraham a seed. He promised Abraham to be the father of many nations. Eventually, that seed became the nation of Israel that became slaves in Egypt. Then God liberated his people from Egypt, from bondage and slavery. And then on the desert, on the way to Mount Sinai, provided them manna from heaven and water from the rock. See, they can, God could give the command to remember because of how present every single step of the way in the story he was with his people beforehand. As Christians today... It's easy to remember the works of Jesus through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But also today, 2,000 years after Jesus' life, we get to remember not just the biblical narrative, but the way God has moved tangibly in our lives, in our faith families' lives, in our communities' lives. So remembering, remember the Sabbath, this guardrail, this, this guidepost, He's just telling us to think back, remember how God was with us, how God was present, how we are where we are now only because of God. Let's keep going. Remembering is this nice thing, but remembering isn't just about giving us a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. 
because remembering this act of being with God by remembering how he's already been with us, it transforms us into who we are meant to be. So the next ver- the verse continues, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It doesn't end with remember the Sabbath day. It says remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This is interesting because didn't we just talk about that all the, the Sabbath is holy because of God's works and not us, because God rested, God created. That the holiness of the Sabbath is bound up in God. And now we're being told to keep it holy. And here I think we see something beautiful and something critical to the third word that Chaz gave us yesterday or last week. That God is inviting us to be his image bearers. That part of the Sabbath is reflecting God and being like God, which is, which is really just being who we were made to be. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 tell us that God made us in his image and his likeness. And that really that is our end, is to be like God, to reflect him as humans, to reflect his love and his character. As Chaz said last week, to wear his name on our foreheads. That's another critical call of the Sabbath. A critical guidepost is to to reflect God's character. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, really sums this up well. It says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. This kind of sums up everything we've talked about up until this point, this theme that, how does the sentence start? I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God who brought, rescued you from slavery. I have a relationship with you. I've redeemed you. But then it says, therefore be holy because I am holy. I freed you, so now live in freedom reflect the love and the character that I've given you, the blessings, the promised land. We saw in Exodus earlier that the nation of Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests. A big part of that is reflecting God. I think if we look at the stories of Jesus in the New Testament, that this theme is reflected pretty clearly in how he treats the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, the Pharisees hated Jesus because what did he do? He healed. He engaged in the life-giving work of God on the Sabbath because he was God, and they didn't like it. But in essence, that really what Jesus was doing was fulfilling the heart of the Sabbath. We live out the Sabbath by being like God and by being who God made us to be, his image bearers. There's one critical component of being image bearers of God too, so let's continue into verse 9. It reads, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. So, being whole, being who we are made to be, involves stopping as well. And just as it's maybe empowering to hear, oh, we need to reflect God, we need to be like him, there's also the reality of 
we are human and we need to stop. Being on the Sabbath, reaching our fullness, does not mean becoming God, but becoming fully human, which involves stopping, which involves embracing our limitations. One of the best examples I know of this is my sister. Um, I already said I'm introverted, and she is, if I am, she's extremely introverted, and more so on there. And growing up, there would be these times when maybe it's a long road trip where she was just out of energy, as we all are. And what would happen is she would just stop and shut down, and we'd say, oh, she's closed. She's closed for the rest of the day. That's kind of healthy, honestly, when you think about it, uh, to recognize that limitation and to be able to stop, to be human and to recognize it. But there's another critical component of stopping, and that stopping doing things stops us from being bound to things that are not from God, of making idols that we do not need rather than what resting in the completed work of God. I mean, the reality is, if you can't stop doing something for a day, you need that thing. If you can't stop it for a day, then maybe that has a bigger hold on you than you've realized. So we live out the Sabbath, we become who we're made to be, we reflect God's character by accepting our limitations and stopping from things of this world. As we continue, we'll go to the last part of the verses for our third guardrail, guardrail, not guardrail. The passage continues, for six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You are your son or your daughter, your male slave or your female slave, or your cattle, or your resident who stays with you. The third guidepost for Sabbath keeping is it's not an individual thing. It's not a sa- your Sabbath. It's a Sabbath for you and your sons and your daughters your slave servants, cattle, any foreigner or resident staying with you. The Sabbath was not made for you as an individual. The Sabbath was made for a community. It's a communal practice, a communal act. There are no extra spiritual points for doing the Sabbath alone, from putting yourself through more work. That's just missing the point of what Sabbath is altogether. It's interesting if you think about it that the first time that Sabbath is actually commanded as what what the people of Israel need to do is as they're wandering the desert, heading to Mount Sinai and Exodus. It's while they're becoming a nation when they're a people wandering the desert already, when they're already this community. You see... Sabbath is not only about being with God, as we saw in the beginning, or being with ourselves, being fully who we are made to be, as we just talked about, but it's also about being with others, holy, and fully with creation. 
once we free ourselves from the things of the world by stopping, once we unbind the knots of the things that tie us to death, we're then free to deepen the bonds and the knots between us and our community, between us and the rest of God's creation. You see, stopping isn't just about undoing all these bad things, but it's undoing things so you can fill them and become more tied with your community, more deeply dependent on the people around you. It's just like Paul talking that we're all body parts, right? One's an ankle, one's an eye. And that, that, that's true of the Sabbath as well. The Sabbath is a communal thing where you have a role that in this, and fulfilling the Sabbath is not about freeing yourself from the body, but deeper relationships within the body. At the beginning, I started by talking about Google Translate, how it was very bad at translating this verse, but also how bad it is at helping you learn a new language. Needless to say, it does not help. But to go back to that illustration and complete it as we wrap up, I know you think we have 30 more minutes, but we don't. There's one way that everyone knows that you can learn a new language. You immerse yourself in the culture. If you want to learn Spanish, you go to Spain. If you want to learn French, you go to France. Living out the Sabbath is a really difficult thing today, thousands of years after it was implemented, thousands of years after Jesus I constantly feel the tug and strain of legalism. I just want to know what I'm supposed to do and how to do it. But in doing so, much like the Pharisees that were confounded by Jesus' healing on the Sabbath, I miss the heart of the Sabbath altogether. I miss the heart of being. That the Sabbath is not about me stopping from doing everything and blocking out the world, but it's an opportunity for me to fully immerse myself and be present in the world around me and this wonderful kingdom that God has made and the redemptive works that God is doing right now. I miss the invitation to be with God, to have a 24-hour cycle where my only priority is to be with God. And through that, the opportunity to be myself, be who I was made to be fully, limitations and all, brokenness and all. And not even that, I also miss the opportunity to be with those around me, my family, my faith family, my city, See, the Sabbath was not made. We like to think of the Sabbath as we're withdrawing from all these things when all it is is really the Sabbath is making these things full and whole and complete. So if the Sabbath, maybe for you, like it has for me, has not gone well, and it's really difficult, and it doesn't make sense, and it talks about poetizing things and thee and thy, I just want to encourage us not to give up. 
but to keep the heart and mind. To allow ourselves to be immersed in this kingdom of God just for a 24-hour cycle. And from that, see how that changes our language and our context. How that changes things for us to be who we were made to be. The Sabbath is a journey, a long journey, a long undertaking of accepting God's invitation to share in his life, his relationship, his kingdom. So, as is our tradition, a reflection will appear on the screens here. And just as the fourth word this commandment on Sabbath begins with a call to remember. I thought our reflection would be based on the examine. For those that don't know, the examine is an ancient church practice, one that our faith family has embraced that is meant to look back on what God has done with your li- in your life with a posture of gratitude. So take a few moments to go over these prompts and uh, I'll come up shortly when we're done, and um, we'll go from there. Let me pray for you guys, and then we'll take some time. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you that when you rested, you didn't leave us, but chose to dwell with us. Thank you that in our brokenness, you move closer to us. Thank you that no matter what we can do or how far we can stray, you never leave us. And the invitation always remains on the table to come to you, to be in relationship with you, to be full, to be a part of a kingdom and a community. Lord, help us see you more clearly May you remove the obstacles that prevent us from a day of rest, a day of wholeness with you. And may we trust and delight in you. Bring us healing and love in your name.